Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks and that as we have heard in that song of the power of your word, we think of all the circumstances that we find ourselves in at the moment and our, our, our hopes and our fears and our anxieties, our joys and our sorrows. And we praise you that you have the power to speak into all these situations and by your Holy Spirit transform them as we come to Jesus, the living stone. We thank you that you work through and in every circumstance to make us more like Jesus. And may you do that this morning by the power of your word, through your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how easy do you find it then to um, talk to other people about Jesus? Many of us struggle, I think, to articulate to other people what we believe, or, or, or more than that, to be willing to identify ourselves as Christians at work or at school or with friends or, or whatever. Sometimes I find Christians who are surprised to discover it's not just me, as it were, who struggles with these things. But maybe if you're not yet following Jesus, it might be particularly surprising to hear that this is something Christians often find difficult. Though maybe even you can identify with thinking twice about telling a, a friend or a colleague that you're going to church, even when it's just joining online. Is that something you don't up to? Now, of course, if Christianity is true, well, none of this should make any difference. And Christians know that too. We know that uh, this is something that's worth sharing, but we still often struggle. And it is certainly increasingly difficult to be publicly known <clears throat> as a Christian in a culture that seems to keep pushing Christianity further towards the sidelines. We easily feel insignificant. <clears throat> we easily feel ignored. We easily feel forgotten. So at the moment, Christians are wanting to know, why haven't the government recognised that, for example, many Christians are waiting to get married and they don't want to just simply move in together and, and start sleeping together. They want to wait for marriage first because that's how the Bible tells us God has designed marriage. And, and we've heard, well, the government have allowed six people to gather outdoors, but still they have not yet um, allowed weddings, which could, in normal circumstances, happen with only five people. That's all you need to, to make a wedding happen. Uh, but we don't seem to now, now that, that <clears throat> there may have just been a chink of light on, on that in the news this morning, and we'll wait and see whether anything changes. But it's these kinds of things and others that sometimes can make Christians feel like, well, you know, you're not very important. Uh, your needs are not really um, central to, to what our culture is thinking about. And that may well be true, but it makes us then struggle to feel like uh, we want to speak up, or it can do. Uh, more than that, we can easily feel a bit foolish, maybe. You know, do you, do you really believe that God became a human being, that, 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 that Jesus walks on water, that he rose from the dead, that one day he will come back and judge the world? Do you do you really believe these things in the 21st century? You're going to own up to that uh, in the classroom at school, in the, on the coffee break at work. You're really going to sort of put your head above the parapet 
and own these views that, you know, surely no right-minded think person thinks these things anymore. And so that can make us just hold back and think, oh no, but I've got to present it in the best way possible so that people hear and understand or whatever it might be. And that makes us beyond the insignificance and beyond the foolishness. It makes us just think, sometimes I just don't have the words. I don't know what to say. What if I get a question that I can't answer? Why would anyone listen to me? So we don't know what to say. So we feel insignificant. We feel a bit foolish. We feel like we don't have the words. And that can silence us. It can make us clam up. It's just easier not to say anything at all. Now, we've seen over the last few weeks that the Christians that Peter is writing to are facing these kinds of issues. They're on the margins of society. They're scattered through modern Turkey. They're feeling out of place in a culture that has no place for biblical Christianity. And yet they're not openly um, suffering at this point. Not quite. But it's beginning to head in that direction. They haven't got any impressive buildings to hold on to, like the Roman temples around them. And they worship a crucified saviour in a culture where crucifixion isn't even mentioned in, you know, at all in polite company. You don't talk about it at a dinner party or whatever. It's so shameful to even mention this punishment that's only for slaves. And they worship the God who became a man and died in that way. How can you speak about this in this culture? They feel insignificant. They feel foolish. They feel ashamed and they don't know what to say. These feelings are very real for them 2,000 years ago, as Peter writes to them. Now, Peter's written to them about hope, and we've seen that over the last few weeks and the implications of that for our lives here and now. Real, guaranteed, certain hope for the future changes everything now. And um, we're going to get in the second half of this, well, well, the the second portion of this letter from verse 11 onwards in chapter two, he starts to get into some actual specific application for different circumstances that you might find yourself in as a Christian living in the world. But in this last bit of the first section, he reminds us of one more thing to get in place for for who we are as Christians. He reminds us of our new identity as his people, not just a bunch of individual Christians, but a new identity as a corporate people of God. And and in these verses, he then shows how those that that new identity addresses those feelings of insignificance and foolishness and fear as his readers 2000 years ago and as we today seek to tell people about Jesus. We need one another. That's what we're going to see this morning. And the the way these verses work is that verses four and five in chapter two are uh, the headline for what Peter wants to say. And then it's unpacked in verses six to 10 a bit more. And we see here that in Christ, God has made us to be three things. We're going to take each of them in turn. Three things, a new temple, a new people, and a new purpose. New temple, a new people, a new purpose. So first, a new temple. Have a look at this. This is mainly from verses four to eight in chapter two. A new temple. As you come to him, a living stone, says Peter. You know, you are feeling, you, 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 you who are feeling sidelined and you're feeling insignificant and you're feeling scattered and foolish and rejected. What does Peter say? You need to understand 
that Jesus is the foundation for a new type of temple. He is the cornerstone, he calls him. Can you see that in verse 6, if you're following with me? Uh, he is, uh, he's quoting Isaiah, uh, the prophet there from the Old Testament, those words. Now, the cornerstone, as I'm sure any sort of architect can help us understand, is the cornerstone is the first stone that you lay if you're building a building. It sets the direction of all the walls in all the different dimensions. And at least it was then. I don't know if that's still true today, but that's, that's what it meant then. And so this cornerstone is the first thing. And he's saying, look, this is the, the stone that is chosen and precious to God, but rejected by human beings. Can you see that in verse four and verse six? Chosen and precious to God, but human beings think, no, we don't want anything to do with this. So he's this stone, he's a cornerstone, he's rejected, but he's a living stone. What does that mean? Well, it's pointing to the fact that he was rejected and he died on the cross, but then he rose from the dead. And so verse seven, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter is saying the foundation for the new temple that God is building is not actually a, a physical stone, but a living stone for a living, breathing building of people who then are living stones. Can you see that? And if you, if you remember nothing else from, from 1 Peter, remember this. What is true of Jesus is true of his people. That's what he keeps saying in different ways. And so he is the living stone verse 4, then verse 5, you, his people, are living stones. You're being built into the new spiritual house. The old house was the temple in the Old Testament, where the presence of God could be found. Now he dwells by his spirit in his people. That's what he's saying. Do you see that? A new place, a new place for God's presence, a new temple. Now, do you see what this is saying to a, a bunch of Christians who are ashamed of how marginalised they are in their culture? You've got no impressive buildings to point to like the Romans around them. They've got nothing impressive to make the culture take notice of them. They feel foolish. And God is saying to them through Peter, you are where God dwells now on earth. In the very ancient world, well before the time of the New Testament, the king of Sparta was boasting to a visiting monarch about the walls of Sparta and their strength. The walls of the city of Sparta. But the, you know, the, the visiting monarch looked around and he, and, and he could see no walls at all. There aren't any walls. Where are these renowned walls of Sparta that you speak of? He asked. And the Spartan king pointed to his army. These are the walls of Sparta, he said. Every soldier is a brick. And it's the same idea here, you see. You, you may not look outwardly impressive, Christian church, but every man and woman is a brick in this new temple of God's presence on earth. Be encouraged, therefore. Now, the implication of this, of course, is that the idea of a Christian going it alone, you know, it's just me and God. I don't really need to go to church. I just open my Bible and I... You know, read the Bible and I talk to God. No, that's, that's absolutely foreign to Peter's thinking here. Christianity is a team game. It's a family. If we try and go it alone, we won't 
make it and we won't be part of this new temple, this building that God is making. You can't have a building with only one brick in it. Now we need to hear these verses while we, are, we ourselves are out of our building. You know, you don't need an impressive building on an expensive street in Hampstead to be significant in God's plans. But we need to hear that today, don't we? But we also need to hear this when, God willing, we are back using our wonderful building. You know, it's a fantastic resource, but it's not our identity as God's people. That's why we stuck those massive banners on the railings that you might have seen if you've gone past. Church is more than a building. Our significance comes from God dwelling in his people. But we might also be tempted to look to other things to demonstrate our worth and our significance as a church, you know, to our programs and our activities. Look how much money we give away as a church. Look how many staff we can employ. Look how much accommodation we own as a church. Or even look how slick we can make our online presence or not. Or, 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 you know, how well can we do our music? None of that is what makes us valuable or significant. God has made his people into a new place for his, new pres- for his presence as a temple. That is what matters. Now, of course, we also see that we're only part of this, verse 4, if you look, we're only part of this when we come to him. Come to Jesus, the living stone. You see, Christ is either the cornerstone, the foundation of everything, the foundation of our lives, the, the foundation of our identity of who we are as his people, or, verse 8, what is he? He's a stumbling block. He's one or the other, either the foundation or a stumbling block. You know, some people, of course, will see Jesus as an irrelevance, an annoyance, and they'll prefer to try and kick him out of the way. But, you know, it's a bit like one of those videos you'll find if you go looking on YouTube. You know, don't, don't do it now, obviously. But, you know, you'll, you'll find there's plenty of them out there, aren't there, of, of macho man with lots of muscles. And he takes a big kick at a rock to get it out of the way. And the rock doesn't move. And he breaks his foot. You'll find you know, there's lots of things around on that kind of theme. But that's how it is with Jesus, you see. We either build our lives on him or we trip up over him. Now, in verse 8, Peter points out that they were destined to do this. And his point is that, that when people reject Christ, it's not as if it's outside God's plan, as if God's plan has failed. Because that's often how it feels. You kind of think, well, I'm sure, I thought every, God wanted everybody to become Christians. And now... These people aren't. This has, is, it all, is it all failing? No, no, it's all within the plan. That's what Peter is saying. And Christians who are suffering need to hear that or else they're going to give up when people reject them and their message. You're going to think, oh, well, this, this Christianity thing doesn't work. I'm going to try something else. No, no, if people reject you, understand that that's within the plan. But the problem is we read this today and we get start to get worried about other things like, you know, does that mean there's no second chances? You know, if you reject it, is that is, is that it? No, there's always before we die, there's always the chance to come back. Don't, don't get distracted by those kind of questions. And if you know somebody who you love or you care for and you're thinking, well, no, they seem to have turned their back on Jesus. Keep praying. It's never too late. Until death. We keep on 
um, praying and, and people still have a chance to come back. But the point that he's saying here to Christians who are suffering is when you see people reject you or God's message, understand it's still in the plan. God's in charge. You can trust him. Keep trusting him. So this is the new temple. And then this, this image of the new temple is then expanded um, in two further ways in, in these final couple of verses mainly. And what we see then is that God is making, after a new temple, he's making a new people, a new people. So second thing to see from verse nine. Now have a look at this. There's a lot packed in here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. There's a whole load of kind of pictures, metaphors for God's people piled on top of each other. Now, if we work backwards through that, what do we see? The end point is to be his own possession, which is picking up on the bit that, that Edie read for us from Exodus chapter 19, which is going back to the foundation of God's people Israel. As he starts the nation off, having rescued them from slavery in Egypt, he calls them from the start. He says, you are my treasured possession. You may be rejected in the world, in other words. And as Peter applies this to his readers now, this is what he's saying. You may be rejected in the world. You may be insignificant in your culture. You may be afraid to be known as a Christian in your school or in your workplace or among your uh, hostile family or whatever it might be. But you are God's treasured possession. He takes pleasure in you as his people. So his people belong to him. And, and working back, he says they're, they're a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Now, again, these are all massive Old Testament words and concepts. And they're, they're there in, in, in Exodus chapter 19. But basically, Peter is saying to Christians who think they've got nothing, you have all the privileges of the Old Testament people of God and more. You know, you think they had it better because they had a land and they had a temple and they were a nation and people had heard of them. And, and God was sort of constantly showing up and doing stuff with them. And you feel now like you have none of that. And now he's saying, no, you are still at the center of God's plans. You are a holy nation out of all the nations. You, even though you're scattered in, and you're not a nation in the sense of you've got a king and a um, or a human king here on earth and the flag and all that kind of thing. But no, you are a nation under King Jesus, wherever you are. That's what he's saying to them. And remember, his plan in singling out his people like this was in order that they could be a blessing to all the nations. That's true in the Old Testament, and it carries on the same. It's the same plan carrying on into the New Testament. It's always outward focused. A holy nation for all the nations. And a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. There's, there's no hierarchy. This is what this is talking about. There's no hierarchy in the people of God who know um, of some who know God better than others. We're all priests. Now, this, this might sound like a funny thing to say if you've not come across this before. I'm not a priest in, in, in a sense of me being a priest and you not being a priest. I'm an, I'm an elder, a presbyter is the kind of Bible word for, or, you know, we, we sometimes call that a vicar or a minister. But we're all ministers, actually, aren't we? We're all ministers, just a servant. We're all servants in the church. Um, but we sometimes, you know, use minister with a capital M to refer to, um, to, 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 to the leaders, the elders. Um, but I'm no more a priest than you are. This is the priesthood of all 
believers, we sometimes call it. And, and what that's pointing to is that any of us in this new people of God can know God through Christ. You don't need to go through somebody else. Any of us, we're all on the same level. We have the same access. So this is all just getting us getting clear on our new identity. But it's the first phrase that I want to just focus on for a bit more. That, 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 that chosen race, verse 9. I think it's just worth dwelling on that at the moment, not least because of all that's going on in the world around us at the moment and on the news. You are a chosen race, he says to his Christian readers. Now, why is this important? Because it, it says to God's people, as far as race is concerned, the issue is not, are you black or white or, or somewhere in between? But are you in this new race, this new people of God, made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every race on earth? God's plan that started with Abraham was always for all nations to be blessed and to be blessed equally. Remember, it's priesthood of all believers, everyone coming on the same level, whatever race or background whatever the colour of your skin, in other words. And it isn't merely virtue signalling to talk about race. As you know, we, it's, it's tempting, isn't it, to just sort of keep up with the news and say whatever they're saying, and, and you know, everybody's condemning racism, and rightly so, and we should be doing that. But it's not just virtue signalling, as it can seem sometimes to do that, because um, what we've seen, um, what, what we see here is that this is a gospel issue because in Christ there is one new race and that means all races are equal if you go around denying that in some way you're denying the implications of the gospel remember chapter 2 of Ephesians we looked at a couple of years ago when Jesus died he didn't just restore relationship between us and God he restored relationship between Jew and Gentile. And because of that, between the different races of the world. So does, does that just mean that we should just say that we're colorblind now, as, as you sometimes hear, that we, you know, we're blind to color? Uh, particularly, you know, Peter's saying we're, we're, we're one race in Christ. Well, I don't, I don't think we can quite say that because the sadness is that many people who are black or Asian or minority ethnic, uh, many people from those kind of backgrounds are saying, life is intrinsically different for me just because of the color of my skin. And some of these people, you know, generally speaking, just in general terms, some of these people are saying that's true even within the church as Christians. Now I hope and pray that that is not the case at St. John's, and I don't particularly see evidence of that, but I am what they call white and privileged. And so we need to listen to one another, and we need to give each other the opportunity, and please do speak up if you think that this is not the case, that we, because we want to be one race. We want to be the one people of God, where there, are, there aren't sort of different levels of access to Jesus and to his blessings within the people of God to do with the color of our skin or our background or to be honest to do with anything else how well educated you are or what job you have now the one thing that matters is faith in Jesus 
and that brings us together as the people of God. So we have a new identity, people, uh, Peter, Peter is telling us, as, uh, as God's new people. You may feel squeezed out, you may feel marginalised. We are a new race and people. And then finally, and very briefly, all of this new temple, new people, gives his people a new purpose, which is to be for God's glory. And so look at that, verse 9, a new purpose, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. We are all these things in order to declare how good God is. That's what it means to, 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 to uh, proclaim his excellencies, to talk about what he's done and who he is, and, and to talk about how he's made his people a new temple and a new people, and a new, given us a new identity. It's all in order to proclaim, look how good God is. Look at what he's doing in the world. Many times through this letter, the logic is live differently, do things differently. And the watching world, the watching culture will see and hear about God through your words and your actions. Do you remember we started by thinking about how tongue-tied we can feel when speaking about Jesus and, and held back by fear and foolishness. And Peter's, Peter's saying in response to that kind of thing, he's just saying, just tell people what God has done. That is all. And, and what he means to, 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 to you in your life, tell him, tell people about that. What he means to you, how, what it's meant for you to struggle, to, 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 to trust in Jesus through all your, your struggles and your joys and your sorrows. Why does it make a difference to you to trust in him today? Just start there. We, we, we heard Jeremy Marshall on Thursday doing that. And uh, just, just, just speaking about how God was at work in his life and his circumstances. We can all do that in different ways. Tell people what he has done for you. Don't worry about not having the words. Sometimes people ask me questions. I don't know the answer. Even though, you know, I don't know the answer to all the questions I get. Oh, certainly not. And I just say, well, I, you know, I need to come back to you on that. I need to think about it. And the point is, though, if we've understood who God has made us to be, a new temple where he dwells on earth among his people, a new race, a, ch a chosen people, and so on, we will realize this is actually good news. People need to hear about this, don't they? How can I stay quiet about this? You know, I'm not, I'm not, when I'm thinking about sharing my faith with others, I, I'm not sort of sharing, a, a, you know, here are the rules. Here are the new rules for everybody. It's not that. Look, look at what Christ has done in his death. Look at who he, look at what he's doing in the world. He is making a people. And actually, um, uh, it's, you know, it's not as if the world around us has really got everything sorted, is it? There's a lot of bluster, but the reality is everybody fears death. Everybody's scared that they might lose um, everything one day. And by the way, they will. Everyone's looking for love and acceptance and meaning and purpose. Everyone's looking for a solution to these terrible things which are dividing our world and our society, whether it's racism, as we're seeing right now on the news, whether it's, um, you know, the, the, the things around Brexit, 
which have been knocked out of the news for this time. But you know, whether it's arguments about how we lift lockdown and you know who, who's broken the rules and who hasn't, and politicians and the rest of it, we're desperately divided so easily. And and God is doing something in the world which is an answer to all that. Not saying, yeah, these guys are right and these guys are wrong, but saying, no, come to him, the living stone, and form a new people where you get to be honest about your sin. You don't just have to keep a brave, brave face on things in front of the media, because as soon as they find a, a, a problem with you, you are out and, and that's that, and no one will ever speak of you again. In Christ, you can be honest about your sin with one another, and in Christ, he is making a new people of God. Um, uh, united in our diversity. It's all there in Jesus. Proclaim his excellencies. What are we waiting for him? Let's keep coming to the living stone so that we can be the new temple, the new people with a new purpose. Let me pray now. Father God, thank you that you um, are so good. We thank you for your excellencies. We thank you for what you, who you are and what you've done in forming a new temple, a new people with a new purpose. And to a world that is so divided and lost and fearful, we pray that we would be able to bring this good news to this world. Good news in Christ that we have to share with one another and all those around us. As we, as we struggle with those feelings of insignificance or, or, or shame or foolishness or fear or worry about what to say, keep us coming back to who you are and what you've done. And may that encourage us that things are not as they seem and that you are building a new temple in your world. You are building a new people. And we have the purpose now of proclaiming you to the world around us until Jesus returns. Amen.